Welcome to the Indian Silicon Valley podcast. I'm your host Jibraj and on this podcast I speak with founders, investors and domain experts from the Indian Valley trying to understand the art of building a legendary company. In this episode I speak with Tushar Vashisht, co-founder and CEO of Healthify Me. Healthify Me is on the mission of healthifying a billion people across the globe. What started as a way to track calories and nutrients is now a multi-million dollar health tech company building one of the largest consumer organizations from India for the world. Healthify Me now has a full stack of product offerings including the legendary health and fitness tracking, food subscriptions for weight loss and disease reversal. and most importantly the world's first ai health engine in the form of ria started in 2012 the company personifies the perfect combination of large scale impact along with commercial viability it has raised over 100 million dollars through its life cycle and has also now expanded beyond india to some south asian countries soon expecting to enter the united states Through this conversation with Tushar, we understand a bunch of aspects that have led Healthify Me to reach this juncture and continue innovating as it grows. This includes learnings around product innovation, geographical expansion, culture setting, founder decisions, and taking up impossible challenges only to make them possible. Thus, without further ado, let's dive in. to the 68th episode of the Indian Silicon Valley podcast healthifying a billion people with Tushar Vashisht co-founder and CEO of Healthify Me thanks a ton Tushar for joining me really excited to be hosting you today pleasure is all mine jivraj happy to be on the show glad to hear that tushar and i want to jump right in and take a moment to understand your journey better especially because of how different and amazing it has been and maybe go a little deeper to understand how you took some of the bold choices so if we reflect back at it i'll just give a brief preview right the water grad who is now on his way to become the next big thing on wall street comes down to do this aadhar project and then does this amazing experiment that leads to healthify me most of these choices in hindsight or at least from an external surface look very bold look very challenging look very a uh, seeking discomfortish right and how did you inculcate that mindset at that point in time and take some of these choices i think i'm very interested to know that and mainly understand how how you got here so to say so over to you to give us a brief preview of how all of that shaped up wow it's a long journey to be articulated in a short time but personally i don't think those choices ever felt particularly bored or or disorienting i think i've just followed a path of almost a childish curiosity and excitement and going by the heart and at every step you know if it made sense by the heart and if it made sense for my curiosity then i think i've jumped on it i haven't thought too much so maybe it's it's not like you know i did a lot of spreadsheet analysis and really sort of built in a lot of inputs and then bounced i think the path has been more serendipitous than not but uh, some curves there are going to be worth highlighting so 
you know, I actually changed three colleges uh, before I graduated because I ended up starting in Delhi College of Engineering. And then first semester later, I was in Delhi Institute of Technology. That was just an internal sort of, you know, same university, some electronics to computer science upgrade or something like that. And then uh, I applied for a transfer to University of Pennsylvania. So after my second year, I went to UPenn. Correction there, I'm an engineering grad, not the Wharton grad, but yeah, from the same school and uh, graduated in computer science. Figured that, you know, I I guess every child at that age, you know, kind of, at least in my time, being a banker on Wall Street or being an investment banker or a consultant was like the big in thing. And, you know, I figured, what the hell, let me take a look. I chose investment banking, not in Wall Street. Actually, after an internship with BlackRock, I chose my banking in California, in Silicon Valley itself, in fact, covering tech with Deutsche Bank, corporate finance, uh, because, you know, I wanted to combine my tech and computer science. And I guess maybe I was attracted to the startup life at that time. So that made sense. Moved internally within Deutsche Bank to Singapore. And, uh, you know, by the time I was done paying student loans, I knew that there was an itch for working on something that's larger than just earning income. I wanted to connect my, I still remember sitting on a beach in, you know, one of the Singapore Island Sentosa or something and thinking through my life, sketching it on a piece of paper. And I was thinking, hey, man, I want to do something which is a little bit more impact in what I do. And and then I figured that Aadhaar was coming up. Unique ID was as a project that was surfacing and Nandan was leading it and seemed like a game changer for India. So amongst the two, three areas that I was exploring, I reached out to my network and you know, somebody knew the Nandan's team and connected me and I was very grateful to be accepted. And it was such a mind-blowing stellar team that moving there was a no-brainer. Obviously, it meant no income, but that didn't deter me. I had enough savings to last in India for a while and family was very supportive. I've been lucky as well, came from a good background, uh, which had, I didn't have any loans at that point, let me put it this way. And uh, moved in there uh, two years later, wanted to dive deeper into the Indian common man and the understanding. So did an experiment to live at 100 rupees a day and then to live on 32 rupees a day, which again seemed like a natural extension of what I was doing at Aadhaar, helping sort of work for the common Indian. I felt the only way to complete that journey was to live like a common Indian. And the average Indian was living on 100 rupees a day. So figured that's what I should do. And while living on that and otherwise, I was realizing that you couldn't count your Indian nutrition values, count calories very well. Something I realized when I was trying to lose weight. I gained a lot of weight when I came to India. And I learned that that was not just my problem. That was India's problem and emerging markets problem. We doubled in our obesity since the turn of the century, the whole world. And in India, we were doubling actually faster than that. So counting my calories was the way of me preventing that and avoiding that or reversing that. And uh, particularly at the average Indian income experiment, figured there was no easy way of counting calories, uh, particularly for Indian diets. So I started designing that and, you know, started as an Excel sheet while I figured what I'm going to do next. I thought, let me at least launch that as a website and, you know, take it from there. But people started actually loving that website. And so we figured that we should probably turn it into an app and, you know, and just went serendipitously from there and turned it into an app, uh, raised an angel funding around that, figured that I should be building a startup around it. So passionately talked about it to some interns who were at part of the <laughs> Delhi Institute of Technology, NSIT. It was rebranded to NSIT. Same, uh, I hung out with my alma mater, you know, with, uh, with and uh, picked up two, three interns and, you know, found my co-founder at an incubator, at an accelerator. And, uh, and you know, we started building an app, which took us a long time. We had never built an app before. It took us a year to build a decent app, uh, put it out there. We were very early. This is 2013. We were the first Indian health app on the Play Store. You know, and, and over time, I guess we became very rapidly passionate about building a phenomenal app. You know, our goal was why don't we build the world's or India's highest rated app? You know, since we are product thinkers, my co-founders, engineer ex-Google, 
you know, I am, I was also obsessed about building and designing a good product. We, our goal was forget monetization. We're going to look at building a great app and life has never turned back. You know, so we built a fantastic app. We built the monetization layer around it. Then we added a lot of AI systems around it. And over time grew to be India's largest health app. And now we are hoping to become the world's largest. And it just has happened so naturally and serendipitously. I think the only thing I can say is that it was not sort of bold, calculated, highly analytically driven decisions. These were things that felt right. These were causes that felt right and causes that I could get behind passionately about. The only common nature perhaps has been last one decade is that these were causes that were all very large in their ambition. Um, and that's what always excited me. Awesome. Wow. No, I love the serendipitous flow as you called it, right? But I think so much of it lies in not thinking too much. Analysis by paralysis can always stop you. It's just great to see you follow your curiosity and that's my cue. But, uh, you know, doubling down on the product tinkering aspect that we spoke about, right? Given that you were so early and did not have comparables to measure yourself with or offer something better, you were in a white space which was unexplored. So whatever you were offering had become the standard as was becoming so, right? So the only challenge you must have had in front of you was you. So how did you continuously better yourself, add in layers on top of the product, built in these some of these systems, right? I want to talk about Ria specifically. But before that, how did you as a founder build this organization who's so passionate about the product that it kept on turning itself to become a better version of itself constantly? I think that'd be interesting to hear for every founder listening there. Well, um, when we started, you're right, there was not a lot to go on, but there were calorie counters. You know, Live Strong, also was showing up at that time. So there were these apps or websites that allowed you to understand what's in your food. What I realized by gaining and then losing 20 kgs myself is that if you can compute what you're consuming, you can manage your weight. It's as simple. It's a very simple function. And, uh, you know, energy in minus energy out equals fat storage or depletion, you know, and... Uh, and I figured this, I mean, there was nothing which was designed or built for India at that time, but there were comparables in the West and, you know, semi inspired by that with some first principle thinking, we started hammering a product out and it took a lot of rapid iterations. We used to do multiple releases in a week. We still do about two releases in a week. We are at the thousandth version of our application today and it has taken a thousand iterations to get here. So that needed a lot of going back to the customers and getting beaten and corrected all the time. But, um, you know, we had some inspiration, a lot of first principle thinking, lots and lots of iterations that helped us. The innovation really laid in the services layer, the nutritionist trainers, and then the AI component. Those were two breakthroughs. The nutritionist trainers subscriptions as a service was a breakthrough because we, purely Indians at that time, our country, we were not willing to pay for software, pure products. And we were out of money after our angel round had exhausted itself and we didn't know how to monetize it and how to also supercharge our efforts. So we started five or six experiments. One of them, you know, was our own trainer, Roshni, uh, who had about a couple of thousand trainers today, was there and uh, there was a nutritionist as well. And we said, what if we could allow you to work with our clients looking at their data and then motivating them to achieve their goals? It seems like a faster, more efficient way of doing it than what people did back then with paper pen and you know face to face in consultations and whatnot and and that's what we realized people were willing to pay for and we finally got our first 100 paying customers and uh, it was a challenge by a vc firm that you do your 100 customers and we'll fund you and i think we took it very seriously though they never ended up funding us anyway but uh, but we ended up building the uh, building a, a good monetization layer which we then scaled 
and you know again so that was that was a combination of a few experiments and a combination of being desperate with a you know back to the wall out of salaries for a couple of months you know one thing we don't realize as young founders is you you will inevitably run out of money at least once uh, if you're lucky and twice for the most you know but the, so the first time you run out of money is quite jarring but at the same time it forced us to innovate second one was a luxurious innovation was we realized we were sitting on the world's largest collected collection of data exchange between nutritionist trainers on one side and customers on the other side and i was uh, you know sitting in the balcony with a founder friend grabbing a few drinks who's a, one of my favorite uh, techy founders friends and you know we're discussing around how this can be utilized into a learning system and an engine and why don't we convert that into an ai support system and then you know we started again experiments around it and out came ria and out came ai linked diet plans and fitness plans and today majority of our subscribers are ai subscribers so you know that was also a fascinating journey both these were first principle innovations we didn't have other evidences but they were a combination of lots of multi experiments iterations and uh, you know and using a very technology oriented solution mindset of you know whatever we have in front of us how can we make it more effective and perhaps we were forced by you know by constraints of monetization early and then by constraints of scale you know when i started healthify our goal was to healthify a billion people you can't healthify a billion people by just human services so we realized that the ceiling there we need to get leverage by ai and that also forced us so it's great to have constraints forcing functions you know those are the areas where they usually creativity comes out of yeah no awesome and i think uh, just thriving in you know adversity is something that is such an amazing aspect of our journey and just shows but not, not just not just that's not exceptional about us i think the greatest thriving in life happens in adversity it doesn't happen when you're comfortable greatest creativity constraints you know always comes out of constraints that's just something i've very much witnessed yeah and i think that's the brilliance of entrepreneurship i would say right i mean that's what entrepreneurs believe and make us believe that they can and especially some of the greatest companies being born in crisis and how covid has also shown us that so many of the indian companies have come out of it in such an amazing manner so i think uh, if there's one silver lining of a horrible crisis it's just that that you know the innovation has thrived but uh, i think the double clicking point there is you know how do you ensure that you built a, you know a sort of a services layer right and that is dependent on a great set of execution 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 and we all know that startups have to execute in the best manner possible and this in terms of the double edged sword of visavi trying to ideate and look ahead of the curve right looking at 5 years down the line as opposed to just one quarter down the line right how do you as a founder ensure that the org makes with this sort of a culture is always there where your execution first as well as vision first so that you are tinkering with the product on multiple levels how do you establish that balance and maintain that as a founder especially as you scale the org to so many million consumers across the globe now how do you do that is something that be very interesting to hear from you that's a fascinating question you know and something i'm having to self reflect even right now maybe there are couple of angles to it one is that i personally like to focus i've always focused on disruptive large problems you know and i've always had the privilege of leaning on co-founders or teammates or early employees to solve the immediate tactical issues so anything that i feel that is today if, if there is something that's uh, that's got a good 70 80% chance of success already is something that i don't in concern myself with you know that's something that i assume ke to ho jayega but the the things that have low probabilities of success 20% 30% 40% 
30%, prioritizing those and then following through the visioning for what, you know, picking one out of the five or six possibilities is the area where I like to spend a lot of my energies on. And which is, it's just, I've, I think I've probably done that all, all my life, but early on, earlier on, the scale of magnitude would be much smaller. Now I think the scale is much larger, but it's always good to think of that. That's one. And to surround people, surround yourself with exceptional people who are extremely good at uh, executing phenomenally. Uh, that will take that 70, 80% to 150% by the time it's done. And, you know, I've had the privilege of some tremendous people, including like our chief business officer, Anjan. I'd love to talk about how he basically built smart plans out. Second angle is that I've seen that I've seen my life in sort of 18 month cycles. Um, I've all, it's not by design, but I've seen that every 18 months, typically there is like an interesting inflection point or a breakthrough that happens. Uh, maybe it's around the times when we have raised fundings, or maybe it is generally because something has become decently successful and now it's logical to take it to the next level. And we built a culture around that. So we do an annual event called Ignite, which you typically happen actually more like once in 18 months because of you know delays and things and fundings and not there and what. I think those have allowed us to really take a step back and think about what's the next big thing. You know, so when it was human services, at some point we were thinking about AI. When it was AI, we were thinking about a pure AI solution. When that came, we were thinking international and on you know going to the US. While we're now thinking of US and international. You know, I'm thinking about how we can actually be relevant in multiple countries and in multiple other adjacent areas to do with health and fitness. So it's 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 felt like that 18 month cycle has helped. I think early days you have to spend more time in the tactical execution. I think as time goes along, you can have the luxury of th thinking through the big vision as well. But it is extremely critical that you do both. No, I think that's a testament to it. And I love the fact that, you know, you talk about just being so ambitious and bold about taking up those challenging large problems as opposed to, you know, some of the smaller nuances, which are all fine, but then the large vision is extremely evident. And we've seen that with the Health Family journey. I want to quickly also understand, you know, you talk about the team and you talk about surrounding yourself with the amazing people. It's one thing to gather them. It's one thing to uh, transform the culture and ensure it flows. But again, with time, with skill how do you ensure it's always at a priority because more often than not all the guests who come on the show the founders have always expressed the fact that culture remains to be a top priority for them but amidst the multiple things that you as a founder have to do right it could be funding administration and overload thinking a bunch of things that you only have the vantage point for how do you also ensure that you as a founder are maintaining the culture and ensuring that you're creating these tribe of people that want to are equally passionate about the mission of making the entire world healthy as you are. How do you do that is something that would be great to hear. Well, you know, I, I'm lucky again. It's just, uh, it's a very positive vision to go be, get behind. Uh, we always wanted to build a company that not only become, you know, becomes a billion dollars in revenue, but impacts and changes a billion lives and make what better thing to do than getting people to be healthier. I mean, it's just, you know, you're doing, a, you're leaving a better footprint on humanity. It's not that, you know, we're, I don't know, you know, selling cycle tires but saying that you know it actually helps in humanity in an indirect way we are actually directly by the virtue of doing our job getting people to be healthier and happier so the vision itself is something that i think hopefully appeals to people because we see hundreds of testimonials come in from our customers every day about how we have touched their lives helped them improve their lives and help them lead happier and healthier and you know, fitter journeys in their in their life. So that always motivates us. That's always motivated us. 
but how do you keep sort of extremely strong talent together? Exceptional people are always harder to band together. It is, it is because of, I still, to be honest, it is a priority. It is highly important, but it is something I wish I spent much more time on. I think the way we attract really, really good talent is that is by the talent that is already here. We have always self-selected for extremely smart people who are hardworking, humble, efficient, you know, always no egos, no assholes kind of a culture. It's a place where you like to come to work, you know, and, uh, and a place that you like to engage and so- solve things. And one thing that we've always kept is basically, I, tra- I think I've tried to keep the culture in a way that if I had to join this company, would I have liked to? And if the answer to do that is yes, then it's great. If not, then we need to change things, you know? So, and, and same is for our top leadership. I think all of us endeavor to build a company where we're not just the founders, but we, are, we would have loved to work here. You know, that's the kind of culture that we build. Biggest thing, I think, beyond the softer aspects of no egos, no asshole, is that we love to get out of people's way. So if somebody has ambitious, awesome ideas, we'd love to back it up. Some of the best innovations in the company have not come from me. And I'm actually very proud of that. But I'm glad that I have been able to back the right innovations at the right time. And, and I hope I continue to do more of that as time moves forward. And, and frankly, those are all co-founders of Healthify Me today. You know, a couple of hundred of us. Awesome. No, I love that last line. And especially the thought of, you know, just, I mean, getting the tribe together and just asking yourself, would I be working for this company and creating a company that you would work in? I think that's that's a key takeaway for me, for sure. Uh, Tushar, one of the most important aspects of Healthify Me is also how the audacious goal of going global is there, right? You're going international now. And uh, to be frank, you know, the Indian Silicon Valley stands for the belief in the Indian companies that will go on to dominate at the global scale, a belief you're making us believe in further. So talk to us about what that means for you as a founder on the qualitative side. And on the quantitative side, how do you make some of these trade-offs, right? Because I'm sure you've had to answer some questions around whether or not you should go in depth into the Indian geography itself, right? What more can you do? Uh, What are some complementary products that can come along and multiple things that you could be doing, but you choose to expand instead, right? So talk to us about some of those trade-offs that you've had to make and then the decisions that come along with it which geography to go after, why Southeast Asia, why the US, and how do you make sure that that execution is perfect? I think that would be great for all the dreamers listening to this and understand how you've gone about it. Well, we are taking an audacious goal of being a consumer company to scale in multiple other geographies. But, you know, in the B2B or in the SaaS space, we've already shown that that's very much doable by us. I think in the B2C space, it's a bit of a, you know, a pioneering effort that we're pulling in, but it doesn't seem so hard because if you, a couple of things, one is why go big, why go global? Nandan was a mentor of mine, you know, very famously, I think said once that if you're thinking, might as well think big because it doesn't cost anything different to think big versus think small. I think a billion people, even if you land at half a billion, it still be a victory. But if you're starting itself thinking 10 million people, then you know, where are you going to end? So I think thinking big is always a good idea. Thinking global, I think the question is not as much as to why, but as why not? You know, in the same curious serendipity path ahead, it just seems so logical and obvious. India is a land of 13 different cultures and languages and actually 100 different subcultures and ethnicities and languages. Designing for India was like designing for many different countries. You know, you can't connect a Gujarati client with a Tamilian coach, just won't work. You you can't have foods in, you'll need to have local, you know, normally if you say 
dal chawal in our platform needs to understand that as much as it would understand uh, a mahjol for example to eat and consume it's a highly ethnically relevant product today so we had to design it to be hyper locally relevant even from the get go and frugal innovation is pretty awesome i think our cost of production our cost per revenue is just so much lower than any of our western counterparts you know both in terms of the investment that has gone in building the ip and the way ai has been leveraged to drive scale and cost and our plan started 200 rupees a month you know whereas i think our counterparts in the west would start itself at like 30 dollars a month you know so there are like orders of magnitude there uh, which has happened because of we were forced to innovate for low cost etc you know damodaran was famously asked in delhi as to why did you start in chandni chowk his point was that if you can start in chandni chowk you can kind of build metro everywhere you know so i just feel like if we have innovated and proven a business model in india for its vast complex diversity i think that's what the world is going to be a piece of cake or should be will we face greater competition yes higher consumer expectations yes but we've never shied of being of the we are still the highest rated app in india across most categories at about 4.5 4.6 on play store app store and we take that very seriously so why should it not scale uh, is the question now obviously it means we might spectacularly fail jivraj but so what never been we've never done things because we are afraid to fail you know or not so it's going to be exciting it's going to be a phenomenal endeavor and we have already it's on the back of a pilot we didn't quite make too many noises about it but we are also the largest health app for malaysia and singapore we've proven that we can scale beyond Uh, Indian ethnicities to Bahasa and Chinese ethnicities and local markets. So uh, you know uh, what can be so hard about rest of the world is kind of the line of thinking that we are taking. And maybe we are right, and maybe we are wrong. We'll see. All of us certainly hope you are right, and we are sure to back you and you know cheer for you as you make the audacious goal a reality really soon. And we're waiting to make that happen. But this is very inspiring to say the least. I know inspiration is a word which is overused, but this just you know reinforces the belief that if you can, if Healthify Me can, then a lot of us can too. So uh, further, you know, I just want to take a last stab at understanding a bit more about Healthify Me, and then we'll go on to some concluding segments about you. as a founder but uh, one thing that has been a constant that you've mentioned right there's been a strong focus on a, a bunch of ratings a bunch of conversion rates you've spoken in the past about how the premium subscriptions for the app of healthify me is larger than some of the largest consumer companies in the world right like the tinders of the world and the others right uh, talk to us about how metrics driven as a culture does healthify me have and what does that hold for you to be driven by data especially because so much of the innovation has happened on a technical front and how that you think can impact early founders as well with that context and how maybe we as early founders whoever is listening can really put you know a map on how to measure what matters as they call it right measuring what matters is extremely important without a doubt and i think it's something we yeah. under index on especially in our earlier life because you know we're too busy just thinking around the product etc etc so it's good to look at i mean depending on what your stage is at but at very very early stage good to look at how consumers are fundamentally using the product and are they finding value in it you know are they liking it uh, if they're liking it are they li- using it are they willing to pay for it you know so and how much are they willing to pay for it and then what's the cost of acquiring a new customer which then drives your cac and you know what customer pays you is your lifetime value so having some metrics around is this good for our ltv cac or is that bad for our ltv cac in how many months do you recover your marketing your paybacks become extremely important as time evolves etc 
uh, and of course, as you start becoming bigger, then, you know, contribution margins and sort of P&L starts to play a role and, you know, those things start to become relevant. But even at a sub-level, especially in the product side of things, you know, specking out and analyzing what consumer interactions, engagement, retention, how are those moving for certain different feature sets, etc., are, are quite important, very powerful to track. But remember that data would always give you only 50% of the insights that you need. The other 50% need to come by anecdotal conversations with customers or with first principle disruptive bets, subjective intuitive thinking, which is also equally important. I guess to hone the second element, being close to customers is important. So being close to your front lines, and that's something I am not as happy about now. I wish I was even closer to the customers and coaches than I am right now. And that's something we're trying to actively change. And I think we always will continue to change is that be close to front lines and get inputs in directly and, uh, and, and just hours. I've always, to early founders, I would always say about the thousand day rule. I think you spend a thousand days in a startup, you become start to become a bit of an expert at it. And giving up before a thousand days is also, by the way, a terrible idea for all those who are looking at doing their startups. They should stick for a thousand days. But a thousand days also, if there is no product market fit, then maybe it's time to think of something else. But a thousand days, you also develop your intuition, you hone it, you sort of grow your intuition really well. And then you can really trust your instincts also. So half of it should be about data obsessiveness and about being really bringing data to the table. And half should be more about your insight and your intuitive thinking. And at times you can take active bets against data and that's okay too. But you know that you're doing that at least. That's important. That, hey, this is what data says. I disagree. This is what I'm going to do. But at least you are looking at the data and making that bet. That's important. To do that without looking at the data is probably a poor idea. But, but yeah, we are obsessed. I mean, I can't even tell you how obsessed we are of bringing data to the table all the time. I feel like sometimes I'm, our presentations are literally being made in Excels. At some point, I had to convince our team to move to PowerPoint, which we are now trying to you know, almost change to make it a little bit more subjective friendly. You know, that reflects, I've seen your Ignite presentations as well, and they're just so reflective of, you know, the data that is there and all the right numbers. I mean, you know, everything that has been displayed is just so, speaks volumes of the customer satisfaction that consumers are deriving from Healthify Me. And it's just amazing to know how it works. And I love the balance fact that you mentioned. I think you're on the monetization elements. So yeah, our premium subscriptions by monthly active users, you know, paid subscribers by MAUs is something we do track. Um, and yeah, LinkedIn and Tinder are typically between two, 3%. Many other freemium apps are considered a sort of a high grade, super high grade ad if you hit up the 5% golden ratio. We are, you know, we, we were able to increase that to seven or 8% and we were quite proud of that. And that happened on the back of our of RIA and of our AI-linked smart plans, which were the low-cost plans that we were able to launch, thereby increasing our conversion rates and number of paying subscribers. As I mentioned, I mean, the subscriber ratings and everything that has followed, and as you mentioned, it's been a testament to the amazing service that Healthify Me is offering and the product that is phenomenal. So great to observe, you know, that line of thought and understand what goes behind delivering those kind of results, because unless you're tracking them, you're probably not optimizing for them, which is a testament to how you went about the answer. 
Great. I think this entire segment was a great segue into your mind as to how you're building health, if I may. I want to take the last 5-10 minutes to understand a bit more about what goes inside your head as a founder. And right there, you know, first up, I want to ask, uh, how do you as a founder scale yourself as the company grows, right? Because I think uh, there's a very common saying that the company is usually becoming larger than you and it's scaling on such a rapid rate. And we've seen that happen with health family as well. How do you stay on its toes and ensure that you are growing exponentially as well and ensure that you're scaling to? I think that's something that looks very fascinating and it's something that I'm curious about uh, as an observer, right? So it'd be great to understand and get a viewpoint of your founder mindset and how that has grown through the journey. Wow. Um, well, first off, just on a, on a side note or maybe as a beginning note to this, all founders that I have met, by the, as self-assured and confident that we might appear in public, deep inside, we're always also quite inconfident in the decisions that we make. We're also the greatest self-critics of ourselves. You know, so what happens in the founder's mind is that, you know, while to the world, you're like, everything is brilliant. You know, inside, you're always like, everything is broken. We learn how to live that duality all the time you know in terms of you know or, or everything is unclear everything's broken versus everything is clear and everything is forward so i think that's fine and i think that's something that everybody goes through at all stages which is also which is which is also i just i want to say it out loud because you know if there are founders who are anxious that hey i'm not fully clear i'm not fully sure and all these other founders are so clear and sure well they're not as well nobody here everybody is going up everybody's having mistakes everybody's failing we fail nine out of ten times if we are lucky in endeavors that we take but it's that one out of the ten time that really work and you know it takes time it takes a hell of a lot of time we started in 2012 this is 2020 and we are not even halfway our journey to help the five billion people i think it'll take us another five ten years before we finish that so you know it is it is it takes time now, in terms of how one scales, though, through all of it is, is definitely something I've observed myself. I mean, not just for me, but for our leadership team, for people who worked in it for years, we've seen ourselves hyperscale uh, compared to our many of our peers in you know, large corporates. A couple of ways is by surrounding yourself with brilliant people. So I think the way you scale is you drive leverage and you get people who are smarter than you and better than you in individual fields, without a doubt. Your job is to ensure that everybody's super aligned towards the vision and everybody's marching towards that passionately. And you go deep and hands-on only in areas where either you think you are genuinely better at or you have a deep competence or your teammate is not good enough and you need to find a better teammate, you know, playing a temporary role. For me, I've always tried to make myself redundant in all roles as much as possible. And I'm continuously doing that even now. And by getting better people than me who are, uh, you know, much greater at the abilities to do that job, um, has been a privilege. You know, as you scale, those people come in and then therefore they help you scale. So you have to self-promote yourself every year, year, two years of sorts. Second is by having a great network of other founders and advisors. If there's one thing I'll tell future founders is, or early founders is to have a fantastic peer network of other founders who they can trust and of other investors and not investors, sorry, of other advisors who are senior founders who have done it before themselves to give them as mentors because they just are just a wealth of information. Again, I'm lucky to have many of such advisors and mentors and peers who are great friends. And in fact, it's almost sad, but almost all of my friends are <laughs> mostly founders. Now, uh, the others have sort of come and gone. These are the ways I think you scale by getting insights from others, by building a brilliant team around yourself and by continuously. And, and then part of it is you just scale because you scale. Yeah, you face amazing adversities, you face brilliant problems. You know, you're like 
slapped around by customers and investors and you know you go through all kinds of difficult situations and you get the highs and you play the lows and all of it makes you grow as a human being towards you know challenge you challenge the challenge helps you grow through the years and when the and and, and you know i think that's just a function of being an entrepreneur no, exactly i mean just it's just that it's such a bumpy roller coasterish ride that it you know it trains you in that manner and it's just amazing you to to see you being very cognizant and accepting of the lows as well i think that's just you know very surprising and fulfilling to see that most folks that i've spoken to as well and i've been very grateful to it just becomes a steady state right the highs don't impact you as much or the lows don't impact you as much it's just so mission driven that it just becomes a phenomenally steady and you keep fighting it out and keep moving towards that audacious goal that you set for yourself I think in the early days the highs feel too high and the lows feel too low but I think as years go by and you realize it's just a pattern in that for every high there's going to be a low and vice versa you start to tune yourself a little bit more normally to it you still enjoy and you still hate the highs and lows but you get a little bit more used to it for sure and exactly why these conversations that's why help right if we can take even a bit of knowledge from your journey and you know actionably put it to use in ours i think that just uh, makes the life of an entrepreneur a touch easier right than it already can be so yeah no wonderful to hear that one thing i'd love to add is that one thing that i could have things i could have done better in these last 10 years or last 9 years almost is uh, one is i could have been a little bit more chilled out I think founders are fundamentally impatient and you know fundamentally very passionate and sometimes can get too emotional. Uh, they need to realize that they control very little of what's happening. There is customers, environment, uh, ecosystem, what investors are believing in. There's just so much else that goes on to drive your success or failure. The single biggest thing is to dedicatedly, disciplinedly just keep executing. You know, just as Bloom guys also say, "Apna kam karo." which is very important you know just keep doing your work and keep keep hammering away at it and not get too distracted by the difficulties and the joys both you know and uh, and that i feel is i wish i could have been more equanimous uh, and less emotional and more um, sort of patient and and chill out you know in in life i would advise early founders to still take care of their vacation time their family time and their personal time i think this all extremely important between bouts of lots of hard work and you know just it's a huge marathon it's not a sprint one has to gear up accordingly and you have to sustain that long marathon of of incredible effort and innovation and repeat that every 18 months you know and uh, and so that's the one thing i would have advised myself is that on one hand mentally be more patient through the experience though obviously from a work perspective absolutely in, uh, i i wish i had done everything i have done in half the time so the other piece of advice which is might seem contrary is uh, is move fast so while mentally be patient from a work perspective move as fast as you can uh, there is no points of there's no points for burning less capital especially at the early days i think there are more points of getting there quickly you know so playing conservative adds no value to anyone in general is what i would say take on a scale of 10 how much of risk should you take i would say 20 that's a good thing to do especially at the early stage because there's so many bets that will go wrong that you might as well take all risks very quickly fail a bunch of times you know arrive at what the real click is at and then scale that heavily
Awesome. No, that, that's wonderful to hear all of it, in fact. And, you know, I wanted to uh, maybe get something more because I've heard so the other side of you is the I've heard you sing. I found that YouTube video and I've heard a guitar story of yours, which is common. So talk to us about, you know, as a founder, as you mentioned, like right? just like taking a bits of what you mentioned in the past answer. How do you still, you know, ensure that you are maintaining like I don't want to go into the balance. Work-life balance is, of course, overrated, and that's a separate argument altogether. Uh, it's up for debate and another time. But how do you still ensure that you know some of your passions get exhibited in what you're doing? How do you combine that maybe with work itself? How do you still take out time for yourself? Is something I'd love to know. And what are you passionate about beyond health? If I may, is uh, something we'd love to hear. Um, well, I love making, composing, creating music, uh, definitely, um, you know, Hindustani classically trained as part of Pen Masala in UPenn in my undergrad days and then I was working on a few originals before Health of I happened and then it was like a blackout period for like eight years where I couldn't really, have been. I, I did make one song in all fairness uh, with my brother and a friend of mine from Penn but Otherwise, it was it was quite a blackout period for me, which I wish it wasn't. So now I've gotten back to singing, creating, composing with a few friends of mine. And uh, definitely it gives me a lot of peace, happiness and joy to be able to produce music and, and to sing. And I'm hoping to release an extended play, an EP um, of three songs, you know, sometime later in September and looking forward to that. It's called Urjare uh, and, you know, it's inspired by events in my life, etc. But I really, really hope that more founders can continue to find and pursue passions and hobbies on side. It's actually almost important for the business. I think being too tunnel vision doesn't help. Many innovation and ideas actually come from areas completely unrelated to work. As long as, you know, the head is in a state of flow where it's in, you know, it's a state of generally inspired, motivated thinking. It is extremely valuable for the company. So it's good to do things that put you in a state of flow. Maybe music for me, maybe it's boxing for someone else or you know, rock climbing for another person, whatever it is, or, or hanging out with friends and talking about something engaging. It's very important to actively spend time on that. And, uh, and yeah, I'm hoping I can continue to work more on music in the next coming years uh, with artists from India and from all over the world as I scale out the fact globally. Awesome. No, that's wonderful to hear. And again, uh, very, very fulfilling to know that, you know, you come to a point where, you know, you have to recognize these things as a founder as well. And it can't just be like the done vision you spoke about. And you have to be able to take time for yourself as well, because it's probably best for the business too. Tisha, this has been wonderful. And, you know, as we conclude this amazing conversation, I, I really want to understand the one aspect that you feel deeply about and talk about as well. The fact about impact, right? And mission-driven work as opposed to just being, I don't know, economically driven, right? Because one thing I'm also clear about by talking to 70 plus founders now is that nobody goes or treads on this entrepreneurial journey for the money, right? They do it for more reasons than the financial gain. And for you, it's been mission impact. Talk to us about what has that what that has meant for you and how that drives you on a continuous basis to be on this journey. And I think that would be a superb end to a wonderful conversation. Sure. Um, look, I think being able to drive positive change in the world has just been something that as a life goal has always been very inspiring for me. You know, so that's why I joined Aadhaar for nation building. That's why I lived on the poverty line just to know what the Indian 
average lifestyle and poverty line is about so i can help improve things there and you know understand empathize better and healthify was another logical extension of that we've seen examples of that in my family you know parents civil servants grandparents also involved in nation building efforts so i felt might as well i'd also love to be able to do that but you know impact is something that therefore when i started to look at interesting problems around me you know most of them were problems that were creating impact so you know health was one area education was another that i was passionate about at the when i was starting the journey i think whether it's impact or it's something else i think the i completely agree the one thing it should not be is pursuit of money or pursuit of wealth in my personal view it definitely should be pursuit of solving a problem that you're just insanely excited about because you know wealth may happen may not happen there is no destination in this journey the journey is the destination and uh, what will drive greatest happiness and satisfaction out of it over and above anything else is if you were able to genuinely solve that damn problem that was irritating you for a vast amount of people and then who thanked you for solving that problem and you're like hey this is a giant problem okay with my effort this problem was solved to a large measure and there is the 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 kick that one gets out of that is beyond anything else so yes i think hopefully most founders start the company to isolate and fix a massive problem that is truly affecting customers or fix uh, or add significant joy and happiness for customers to live a more fulfilling life and uh, and i think that's what it should be about personally and then everything else is detail you know some of us get lucky get a lot of wealth some of us get medium amounts of wealth some of us get limited wealth but we all will be rich with a lifetime worth of happy experience to look back on regardless and i think that's worth anything for that matter yeah so for me starting up was not the end desire starting up was a means to solve a large problem and if there were other means available i was in fact initially looking at is the non profit the right way you know for profit the right way you know it should be llp it should be this and that it's like, you know it's okay we'll worry about that later let's just start building for the problem that we're solving that's i think the way to start you know not not with a bang but with a whimper and and just let it bloom or sure no that's beautiful to hear and i couldn't have thought of a better end to defining the pursuit of entrepreneurship the way you have and i think all of the above like whatever did we discuss through the conversation has been a testament to your drive for impact and to solve the problem that you originally set out to solve so this is amazing tushar and thank you so much for your time what you are doing with healthify me is an inspiration for a bunch of us youngsters and we hope that healthify me keeps rocking the way it is and thanks a ton for your sharing your learnings in such a candid manner my absolute pleasure um jivraj to you and to you know and especially as you mentioned there are a lot of founders who are listening in uh my only one last uh, good wish message to them will be hang in there you know we've uh, we've raised 100 million dollars of capital 75% is been raised in the last 12 months and we are around for 9 month 9 years so it takes time i hang in there and have hold conviction and great things are going to happen for sure so uh he, he is wishing the you know best of the of the year ahead to you and to all the listeners thanks for having me on on air And with that, we come to the end of the 60th episode of the Indian Silicon Valley podcast with Tushar Vashish of Healthify Me. This conversation has given us the power to dream even bigger, set audacious goals, and never be afraid of challenges. 
Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. If you're finding value with the podcast, do follow it on the audio streaming platform of your choice. Drop in a review or subscribe to our WhatsApp newsletter to get all the updates directly on your inbox. Thanks again. I will see you next week for another episode. Till then, I hope you recall. If you never try, you'll never know. Stay tuned and keep building.